The following podcast is a Jen Patrice production. Hey friends, I'm Jen, host of Company You Keep, where personal storytelling beats personal development. I'm also a cancer survivor and mental health advocate who's passionate about building a community where it's safe for us to have meaningful conversations about the hard stuff. Today's guest is my friend Erica, who is also the founder of one of our sponsors, Low Ultraviolet. She's an incredible friend and socially conscious entrepreneur who has built the most special community. I am so honored to share her story and her vision. So here she is, Erica Sullivan. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for coming on this week and sharing a little bit more about your story, your mom's story, and then also the story behind um, LUV Low Ultraviolet. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for weeks, so I'm super excited to sit down and chat. I know. I am too. We have collaborated on a few things, and so it's fun to kind of take it to a different channel and then share with others more um, the story, how we met, but then how LUV got started and really kind of a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, I love it. And it's kind of crazy because when we talk about when we met, that was a couple of years ago now. I feel like time has flown by. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and everything really within the last two years, I have no concept of time anymore whatsoever. I know me neither. (laughs) Anything between two years and two months ago, no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the first question that I start pretty much every show with is we're all more than our cancer or our chronic illness story. And so tell us a little bit about you, Erica, as a person. Oh, gosh, me as a person. Um, There is like a bunch of different routes to take this, but kind of just a backstory about me is that um, I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia, lived in Virginia my entire life. Um, Went to school at Virginia Tech in Southwest Virginia, go Hokies, absolutely loved it there, Um, majored in communication studies and met my husband there. Well, my boyfriend and fiance now, most recently husband at Virginia Tech. And I mean, absolutely loved it there. It's such an incredible place to kind of dive into knowledge. Um, It's a research institution. So I really tried to make my most, make the most, excuse me, of my time there. And part of that was doing the APEC Center for Entrepreneurs. So a lot of universities now have built out entrepreneurship programs and things like that to help cultivate creative minds for students younger and younger. And I was a part of that my senior year, which I won't dive too much into LUV now, but that's kind of how that started. I'm always someone who is thinking of something. Uh, I always have to sleep with a notepad beside my bed because I always wake up And I'm thinking about ways to make an impact, make a difference, a new company idea and things like that. And entrepreneurship for me is something that was always part of my life, Um, my first job ever. So it was after my freshman year of college, my first job was doing content marketing for a startup company. Um, It was called Kira Kira 3D and it taught young women. So specifically girls in elementary school, the basics of 3D modeling and CAD software. So it taught them these incredible STEM skills, but taught them in a way that is interesting to young girls. So I think one of the classes that we had focused on building a necklace, but you 3D printed it. So it's taking these ideas that in past, maybe girls thought they weren't interested in pursuing because it was just put on in such a different lens that didn't really 
entertain them and really focused on that STEM education for young girls. And when I saw that, I was like, yes, this is what a business should be. It should have a greater purpose. It should be serving someone outside of themselves. This is what entrepreneurship is. And I think around that time, I started to learn the term social entrepreneurship. And when I first heard that term, I was like, what do you mean? Shouldn't all companies be encompassing this and giving back and serving a greater purpose? I was so confused by that. Like, why would you not take your platform and the pool you have to better the world around you? So that's kind of how, you know, I started thinking and trying to figure out, you know, I knew I wanted to start a company, but when I did, what was I going to do? How was I going to make an impact from beyond myself? Um, I have a huge passion for helping other people find their voice and have a platform to express their voice. I think everyone should be seen and heard and supported. And that's kind of, you know, you take all these pieces together and it becomes kind of obvious why LUV is my, my passion and my, my child, basically. Yeah. And that's so cool that um, you were able to recognize that because I think the social impact of companies is something that's just becoming more talked about. And there's more of an awareness, I would say, especially in the last five years, there's become a bigger conversation about that, but there's been a need all along. Oh yeah, I totally agree. And it's something that now consumers are starting to demand as well. We're demanding companies to be held accountable for their actions, for their practices, for their ethics that they stand by. And that is such an important thing that if we demand that from the company, then the consumer has the strongest voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that hasn't always been recognized. We always thought that these companies have all the power. You learn in school about monopolies and all of that type of thing and how the most powerful companies or the biggest companies or the ones with the money Mm -hmm. are the ones that succeed. But that's where we can let our dollars do the talking. And that's where our power comes from. Because I mean, for me, especially I've chosen to start, you know, spending my money with more sustainable companies and um, especially vegan, cruelty-free and clean products and stuff like that, because those are things that's really important to me. And those are the companies that I want to invest in. And then I think, and Clearly, we're not going to get into politics, but I think with our political climate being more polarized lately, that's where people felt like they had more say to, I think companies, unfortunately, always play so much into politics and who are those, who are the owners and who are the companies, um, yeah. you know, what candidates and stuff are they backing and how can we make a difference by where we spend our money and giving ourselves more of a voice than beyond just our vote. Yeah, totally. I I completely agree with that. And we've seen such an interesting shift in not to get back to holding companies accountable because we kind of just touched on that, but more so figuring out the power of ethics behind your company and building the community and then building a product based on what that community is asking for. Something that's so important to us that we try and bring into every product we launch is what are you guys asking for? And I think shifting kind of how your company operates to what is the consumer asking for versus like, oh, we're just going to put this out there because this is what we think would perform well. And allowing you guys to be part of the process is something that hadn't really been done before. And there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of powering and feeling like your voice is being taken into account. 
Mm -hmm. Another thing that's really different about LUV also is not only do you really make sure that you're serving your community, but part of your mission is actually building a community. And so your story with LUV really starts with your mom's melanoma diagnosis. So can you share a little bit more about your mom's diagnosis and the impact that that had on you and your family personally? Yeah, that had a huge impact in the start of my experience with understanding skin cancer. I think it's kind of unfortunate that normally you don't take time to educate yourself until you've personally dealt with something or you know a loved one who has which is completely unfortunate, but that's kind of how my story started was, I, it was my junior year of college. Um, it was spring 2019. And we have a family group chat where we just send like weird, funny things. I have an older brother and a younger sister. So we're a family of five. Um, and in that family group chat, my mom posted a picture of her back shoulder, a huge long scar with sutures in it. And sent a message that said, kids, wear your sunscreen. And I called her and I was like, well, is that how you found out? Yeah. I was like, what is going on? Are you, are you okay? And she was like, yeah, I'm a little loopy right now. I just got home from the dermatologist and I went in because there was a suspicious spot on my back. I'd been watching it. It didn't look right. I had your dad look at it, went in, they removed it on the spot and I just got back home, still waiting for the results. And I was sitting in my bedroom of my apartment. I had been writing a paper. I had been stressing about the paper. I got off that call with my mom and I was like, no paper is as important right now as making sure my family is okay. Just the juxtaposition of like, you know, in college, like, things are important that really aren't important in the grand scheme of things. And just kind of having that, holy smokes, I never want to hear the word, any form of cancer, any kind of illness, anything come out of the mouths of the people I love. And I kind of just sat there stunned. I'm like, I don't know how to process this right now because <laughs> I had no skin cancer education. And I'm pretty sure I Googled what is melanoma? How serious is it? What is 1A melanoma? And that is when my education started. And I'm embarrassed to say that it took me that long to figure it out, but it did. Oh, I was going to say, do you remember what it said when you first Googled it? Because randomly I was assigned skin cancer as a topic in a health class in college. So I actually had a little bit of understanding before I was diagnosed, but once I was diagnosed, my doctor gave me this pamphlet that they sent me home with. And after crying for however long, um, I was like, okay, now I have to make a plan and figure out how I'm going to handle it and do this. And the first line, I will never forget it. The first line in the pamphlet was melanoma is the deadliest form of skin cancer. Yes. And then I hid the pamphlet yes. under my pillow. Like that was going to protect me from it. But whoever writes those pamphlets really needs to read <laughs> You have to read an entire paragraph before you find out how treatable early melanoma yeah. is. You said that and I just got goosebumps because yes, that is the line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, so yeah, that kind of jump started it for me. And I was still kind of in the mindset after reading that she went through her treatment, came back. They had to do another biopsy because they didn't remove it all. Def they definitely came back as melanoma. They had to remove another spot on her leg that also came back as melanoma. 
And that was super sobering because then I started hearing about the research that she was doing and the genetics that are associated with it. And during this time, so I, I worked throughout college and that semester specifically, I was working at a design and marketing studio in Blacksburg, the town that I was going to school in. And one, I was in one of the um, accounts that I ran was a dermatologist. So I did their copywriting, their social media, um, all of that stuff. And it was skin cancer awareness month. That's what it was. I was doing a highlight for skin cancer awareness month. And I had to sit down and do a write-up of each of the types of skin cancer, the ABCDs of skin cancer, things to look for. And as I was reading through that, I was like, huh, this is super interesting because I'm pretty sure I have a spot on my back that's exhibiting a lot of these symptoms. But again, you don't really look at your back that often. So I didn't think, I didn't really think too much about it until Matthew took a picture. I wanted to post a picture on Instagram because I got a new dress and had this cute little roughly back. And I had Matthew take a picture, my, my husband, take a picture of the back. And I remember zooming in on the picture and seeing the spot on my back. I'm like, huh, I see some asymmetry. It doesn't really have a border. It's like the size of a nickel. It just doesn't look right. And I made an appointment with the dermatologist July. It was right before the 4th of July. And I remember them not getting back to me. And I thought it's not that big of a deal. I had it removed on July 2nd they're not going to get back to me. It's the 4th of July weekend. And it wasn't until a week and a half later that I got a call back and they said, Hey, like, don't want to stress you out. It came back atypical. We did not get clean margins. We need you to come back and we need to do another biopsy. And I, <laughs> I like, can't even tell you what went through my brain. Cause I was 21 years old. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm 21. It doesn't work like that. Like this isn't a young person's sickness. It like my mom, this impacts people like my mom. And I just remember being so, so, so confused, made an appointment, went back, went through another biopsy. And because it was on my back, I wasn't able to do the dressings myself. I wasn't able to change the bandages. Matthew was working at that time. He had an internship somewhere else for the summer and I moved back home with my parents so that I had someone to change the wrapping. And I was so frustrated because I'm like, I am away at college. I'm establishing my independence. And here I am having to have my parents change my bandage. I am so frustrated. I was just so frustrated and I felt so alone and I felt so confused. And the only person I knew who I could relate it to was my mother, who was 20 plus years older than me. So that was really, really taxing and difficult. And whew, yeah, all of that resonates so deeply with me. I remember the phone call I got with mine. It was a little bit different. I was almost sort of expecting it, but at the same time, nothing prepares you to hear you have cancer, but my first one was on my shoulder. And so I was able to do bandages and stuff myself, which is fortunate because I lived in Chicago at the time. So I didn't have family around. That's what eventually led to me moving um, back first to Wisconsin temporarily until I reestablished myself here in um, St. Paul, Minneapolis. But even still, for whatever reason, and actually this is very atypical for melanoma and skin cancer, but typically um, for men, it's more like the trunk area and the back and stuff like that. 
and women it's more like limbs so like arms like stuff like that but a majority of mine have actually been on my back and so there have been so many times when I've had to move back home temporarily because I live alone and I can't reach it I can't change the bandages and even depending on where it is and like how much they have to take out I can't lift anything I can't like stretch or pull so Mm-hmm. I remember when my little niece was born, my sister asked if I could watch her one day and I was like, well, I can, but if she cries, I'm not going to be able to pick her up. She's over the weight limit of what I can even carry. And, or my cat, like to be able to think that I can't pick up my cat is mm-hmm. wild. Cause right. really cats are not a large animal, but <laughs> well, I mean, my cat likes to eat. She's 12, <laughs> She's not big, um, but I couldn't lift anything over 10. I was like, even my cat is over what I can lift. And so it's hard. Um, You do, you feel very alone because even if you do have people to talk to, I know your family was very supportive for you. My family was incredibly supportive for me. But one thing is your mom could relate, but she was still in a very different stage of life. I had nobody in my family that could understand at all. And so it's very isolating. And then it's hard to feel like you feel like you lose a lot of your independence. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it was super funny because, so this was July. So I went through the entire summer, went back to school and had my 22nd birthday party in August of at the end of the summer. And I had a bunch of my friends there together and I still had, I think it had healed on my back, but I was still super sensitive in that one spot because it was like right up my spine, there's a lot of like nerves there. Um, So I still wasn't hundred percent comfortable. And I remember giving a friend a hug and wincing. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just had um, a spot removed on my back. I'm like, good. Came back atypical. It's good. And she was like, oh my gosh, I had a spot removed on my leg. And I was like, wow, why have we never talked about this? Why has this not been a point of conversation? And the second I had someone my age who was a close friend say, oh my gosh, that happened to me this summer too. I felt so much better. And it was like a day and night difference. And that's what made me realize. I'm like, there is something about community and support that just completely was a night and day difference. Just feeling like you are not alone, that you're understood and that someone understands the feelings that you went through was astronomical. And we sat and we talked about it for the rest of the night. And I never felt as alone again as I did in July. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you've really been building with LUV, especially through the ambassador program. And I've actually met a lot of other people going through skin cancer and melanoma being one of your ambassadors, which was huge. I've connected and I'm actually going to meet a few in April in Arizona, which is amazing. But once you start to have other people that just have, even if it's different stages, there's just an understanding or you can relate to each other in a way that others don't. How did you take that recognition of that need and build it into, you already knew you were an entrepreneur. You now know the importance of community and it's something you always wanted to combine, Mm -hmm. but what was it that helped you figure out this is what I want to do? Some protective clothing and building a community around skin cancer awareness. Yeah, I think I had some of the puzzle pieces, but they hadn't fully come together. So I had this 
community piece. And then I had the sun protective apparel piece that really came from in the summer months. So I had the biopsy in July. We were going to the lake the following weekend and we are on the boat all day. The sun is beating down on you. There's really no escaping. So I started looking up. I didn't even know the term UPF clothing at that point, but I started looking up okay, is there a wrap I can buy? What can I buy? Should I just carry an umbrella around with me? What can I buy so that I can enjoy time out on the lake? And once I started searching, I felt so unseen with the options that were on the market. I felt like they were not geared towards a girl in their twenties. They were really geared towards people who were at the later stage of life. And it wasn't proactive sun protection. It was reactive. I just had skin cancer protection. And you know, the entrepreneurial clicked and the entrepreneurial brain clicked in me. And I was like, they always tell you to look for an opportunity in the market. This is my opportunity in the market. And I was walking to class one day, pitching to Matt. Okay. Well, I want to start my own brand. He's like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. And he's like, have you ever heard of the apex center for entrepreneurs on campus? I'm like, no, what do they do? And he was like, you go and you pitch your ideas and you get seed funding. I'm like, oh, I don't think they want my idea. This is clothing. They want like tech stuff. And he just kept saying, he's like, you have all these ideas, but you have not done anything with them. And I was like, whew, dang, Matthew, tell me how it is. Holy smokes. That's some tough love there. But he was totally right because I entered the entrepreneurship challenge with three friends in January of 2020. And we won (laughs) and we won, um, we won the crowd favorite award, which means the people in the audience vote on it. And if that wasn't proof of concept, I don't know what else would be because I'm like, okay, people are hearing this and they're saying, yes, you're totally right. There's a need in the market. A mom came up to me with her little girl and said, I will buy this product. And I also want to buy it for my little girl as well. And I was like, this is, this is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. So it started off as the UPF clothing piece, but I hadn't tied together the community aspect. I knew I wanted it to be a part of it, but I didn't know how to tie it in yet. And COVID hit and everything stopped and things slowed down. And it was just me and my laptop craving that community and connection again. So I just started reaching out to people on Instagram. Uh, Katie from My Melanoma World was the first person I talked to. And she was like, I want to support you. And I was like, holy smokes, you're amazing. I love you. Okay, let's do this. We could have a 15 minute side conversation about how much we both love Katie and everything she's doing. But yeah, she's incredible. Amazing. I mean, amazing. The work that she is doing is just so impactful. It allows people to be seen and heard and gives gives people a place to go. And just, oh, it's incredible. Love her. Yeah. If you're listening, Katie, we love you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, goodness. I don't want to go on a rant and tell you all about my love of my LUV child, but. (laughs) But so you started craving community and Katie was the first person that you reached out to. And I, I didn't even know Katie at the time yet, actually. Um, I think it was probably about two months after you would have connected with Katie when I ended up meeting virtually Katie and she was your first ambassador, right? She was. Yeah. Yeah. She was the reason the ambassador program started because I was really trying to feel out. I'm like, what can I do to serve you? What do you need for me? And 
her response was, well, I want to promote this brand so that other people know where to go. And I was like, let's make that happen. Whatever you need, let's make it happen. And she's so good at building community. Um, she's done so much of that. And so she was the perfect person to have as your first ambassador for sure. Definitely. And then it kind of just grew from there as she posted about it and people started reaching out to us and saying, hey, if you're looking for other ambassadors, let us know. And the community grew super organically from that. And so one of the things that you mentioned actually in your introduction to yourself is that you're really passionate about helping other women find their voice and share their story. Mm-hmm. But how did you find your voice and start sharing it? That was a hard one because I feel like things have changed a lot in the past couple of years. I feel like people never talked about health issues. They never talked about, I mean, I know people who are going through IVF and infertility and they just never talked to anyone about it. And it was just something that you didn't talk about. And I felt like skin cancer kind of fit into that bucket of just something that you just don't talk about. Like, and I do, it sounds wrong when you say it, but for some reason that was the norm. And for me, I always like to be a connector for people. If I know that there's something you can do to make life better, I don't understand why we wouldn't do that. So I kind of naturally just started to like, kind of poke and have those conversations with friends, specifically people my age, because I was very curious, the attitudes towards the sun, tanning beds, and where awareness stood. And I was shocked by the amount of misinformation that I got from the people in my peer group. And if there's nothing that infuriates me, there is nothing that infuriates me more than people who do not have the correct information and are trying to spread it because I know how damaging it is for the people who are experiencing it. So I heard everything from, well, don't you need vitamin D? Like, isn't the sun good? Because don't you need vitamin D? To, well, tanning beds, well, I already had a base tan, so it doesn't impact me as much. And I was like, my mom has a huge scar on her back, a huge scar on her leg. No, (laughs) like this is not okay. Like we're going to have a really impactful conversation and we're going to talk through this. So I think part of my natural, like internal, sorry to my friends and family, I'm super pushy and annoying, but it was part of like my internal, like, no, we need to start educating about this because If you don't know, you could be the next one impacted. What piece of information or misinformation was the most surprising to you? Like what that people believed that just isn't true was most surprising to you? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I've heard so many things that just absolutely shocked me. The base tan one was one that shocked me because there was a little bit where I believe that as well. I did too. And now I literally have a physical reaction to people telling me they're going tanning to get a base tan. I'm like, yeah. 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 And it's crazy too, because when I was in college and lived at an apartment complex, I was getting a parking pass for my sister and she was coming up to visit me. And when I was waiting for the parking pass, a girl came up beside me to sign the waiver to go downstairs and use the tanning bed. And on that waiver, it said, that the apartment complex is not responsible for this, 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 and death. And I was like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. But then internally, I'm like, I feel like I need to say something, but I feel like it's stepping outside my bounds. 
And LUV and our social media page gave me an opportunity to say, okay, I can't, I am not going to be that person who's just like, Hey, you shouldn't tan because I feel like it's not as impactful as educating, like calling someone out is never going to be as impactful as taking the opportunity to educate and share information and share stories. So I took that anger and frustration and created it into content for LUV. I put it all into developing a brand that people can go to, to share to their friends. So we have the sun safety blog so that if you see a post there, you can forward it to your friend and they know that they can read through it and they can take from it whatever they want, whatever they need. And you're also sharing the stories of people that have been through it because I think sometimes you need that combination of the statistics and the education and the research combined with here is a real person, their real story. This is the physical ramifications of what happened. Right. Yeah. And I realized I totally did not answer your earlier question. Oh goodness. I feel like I've heard so many things. I mean, the base tan one was definitely a huge one for me. The vitamin D one was a huge thing for me. Oh gosh, I can't even think of another one right now, but I'm sure I've heard them all. I think I blocked them out of my brain because I'm like, oh no, oh no. I think this is one that you shared recently. And I think it's getting more attention lately because there was that handful of brands that had benzene found in them, but it was specifically the aerosol, but there's this belief that sunscreen causes cancer. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That has been a huge one right now. We, we did get a comment on one of our recent posts about that. And I was like, it's, it's so hard because there are so many different sunscreens out there right now, right? You have your mineral and then you have your chemical sunscreens. And from the very start of our company, we are a huge advocate for mineral so that it does not go into your body. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't give a lot of the content and context for that. But the reality is, yes, there are some things that are harmful that you do not want to put into your body, but sunscreen overall does not cause cancer. It is a tool for us to make smart and impactful decisions in our lives so that we can continue to live our lives on our terms. And if you do not want to wear sunscreen because you're scared about the impact it can do on your skin, that is why UPF clothing is created. If you do not want to put it on your skin, put on a long sleeve UPF shirt and ensure that it has a UPF rating of 50 plus and you will be protected. But you have so many options now as a consumer to choose the protection that works best for you. And the combination of it too. And I think that's sometimes where that's what gets hard is people take information or the bits of information and they don't look deeper because the point of those studies coming out and the news stories coming out about the sunscreen that had, and it was trace amounts of benzene. So it was a very small amount, but can be harmful. And there were a lot of brands that had it, but it was strictly in like the aerosol one. So it was the packaging of the sunscreen not the sunscreen. So it's not like we can't use, I don't want to say a brand because I don't want anyone to go like, but I don't want anyone to go and not buy a brand because I say a brand and then it leads to something else. But I don't, I can't use any of brand A's sunscreen because they had benzene in this. There were like 
12 or 15 brands actually that had it because it was in the type of packaging. And that's something that the brands and the brands, I feel like most of them really went above and beyond and they recalled all of them to make sure, but it wasn't the sunscreen. And that's where there's so many that are not only safe for our bodies, but they're environmentally safe. They're reef safe. Yes. And the amount of I don't even think there's been a case where anyone has actually gotten cancer from sunscreen that I know of, but I know a lot of people that have gotten cancer from the sun. And darn right. <laughs> yeah, darn right. It's it's hard when you see stuff like that because I am totally a fan of advocating for yourself and your health, but people are also in a very vulnerable state after they've received a cancer diagnosis. And I feel like a lot of the times you try and trace it back to something and hearing information like that can be super damaging because you're just trying to figure out how to effectively live your life. And now you're like, now I can't even wear sunscreen. What the heck? Like, am I allowed to even go outside again? What am I supposed to do? And that's why it's so damaging is because these are tools to help you continue living your life. And if you're scared of them, it, it's just so damaging. And we're not seeing those same news stories about drinking Diet Coke. I love Diet Coke, but it is not good for me. And I'm probably more likely to get cancer from drinking too much Diet Coke than wearing too much sunscreen. But so that's another thing. People really pick and choose Mm -hmm. which products they want to talk about. And I think there has to be from a news perspective. Yes, we have to share things, but also like, how are we sharing it and how are we choosing and Mm -hmm. what is the greater good? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's so important. I hope you guys are loving today's episode so far. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Mind Over Melanoma collection from Humble Beast Lifestyle. Humble Beast Lifestyle is a lifestyle brand that was inspired by two men who want to see the world in a better state of mind. I was fortunate to collaborate with them on a collection designed to bring awareness to both melanoma and mental health. Proceeds from the collection are donated to both the Loveland Foundation and Impact Melanoma. New products are dropping this week, so be just sure to shop the collection at HumbleBeastLifestyle.com. And don't forget to live well, lift others, and stay humble. Now back to my conversation with Erica. So a lot of the emphasis on cancer treatment and prevention, like skin checks, is the physical symptoms, Mm -hmm. which are really important. And that's a lot of the advocacy and stuff that we're doing too. But there's also, like you mentioned, with feeling alone, feeling isolated, there's a lot of mental and emotional impacts of it too. Mm -hmm. How has it impacted your mental health, like your mom's journey, and then like your own scare with skin cancer? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is something we've personally talked a lot about offline. Um, And you even did a blog post on the OUB Sun Safety blog about mental health. And one thing you said that has really stuck with me is that the real healing begins after you're technically cancer-free and in remission. And that has really stuck with me because it is so true. Because when you're going through cancer and cancer treatment, it's a little bit more tangible in terms of people understand. It's like, oh, okay, melanoma, you have mole surgery or you have another treatment. It is taken care of. You can physically see on scans and other items when that is gone. Mental health is a lot more, it's it's a lot less tangible 
right? Someone can't just do a scan and say, oh, you're, you're doing okay. It is a much more personal, less tangible thing to be able to figure out. And I think for me, being at the age of 21, when I had the first biopsy and having it come back the way it did, I felt stress and anxiety about my body, not doing what it is supposed to do. You're in your twenties. You're supposed to be healthy. You're not supposed to worry about your health. And I just kept feeding myself that narrative. And that is so not good to have that narrative go that your, your body is failing you because that is not, that is not the case. I mean, this is something that I feel like my case was super lucky because it was not developed into melanoma yet. So I kept having to tell myself, actually, you did the right thing. You caught it early. That is, that is good. You're good. But it's, it, it is so, I mean, I don't even know where to take this because it is something that is just, a lot of people are still trying to wrap their heads around mental health and how to address it and how to talk about it. And my hope is that we're able to talk about mental health. And I think we're getting there on the same level that we talk about other illnesses, the same way we talk about cancer, the same way we talk about any other diseases. We should be talking about mental health on that exact same level, because it is just as important as anything else, your mind and your body, two things that have to operate together. And they both have to stay healthy so that you as an individual are really healthy. And I think that's one of the reasons that the mental health aspect doesn't come up right away. So you're diagnosed with melanoma. They have a standard practice. There's a standard operating procedure Mm -hmm. to treat it and care for it. So doctors just immediately go into that. Okay. And depending on staging and whatever. So first we have the suspicious mole. We need to remove it, send it down for biopsy, see what we're dealing with. And then it comes back atypical or cancerous. And if it's atypical and then they're like, if it's, you know, mild, this is our protocol. If it's moderate, this is our protocol. If it's severe, this is our our protocol. And then again, if it's cancerous, if it's this deep, it's this stage. If it's this deep, it's this stage. And for this stage, we do this and this stage we do for this. And with mental health, it's so different because Mm -hmm. first of all, like you said, it's not a tangible thing. Sometimes you can see symptoms like every time I went to my dermatologist for probably like three or four skin checks in a row, the doctor would come in and they're like, how are you doing? And I would burst into tears. And that was very clearly a physical sign that I wasn't doing okay. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately it wasn't addressed at the time, but they're not like, okay, she's crying. This is what we need to do. They don't have that standard protocol for something like that. And mental health is so personal and individual. And so I think that's what makes it even more important maybe to share what works for me, maybe isn't going to work for you, but maybe it helps Katie since we've talked about her a little bit, or maybe something that Katie does doesn't work for me, but it helps you a little bit. So that's why there's so much, um, it's so important to be able to share those things. And I think sometimes we don't recognize we're so focused on surviving Mm -hmm. and having that treatment plan. You don't realize that you're suffering mentally and emotionally until after. And all of a sudden you get two months out and you're like, I am not okay. Why am I not okay? Why am I not happy? Why don't I feel relieved? 
and you've gone so far down, mm-hmm. then how do you handle it? And what do you do? And do you have that community to help you? Yeah. Because just not feeling alone in it makes such a difference in the mental and emotional impact of that. I agree. And I also think that because this community gets it, they kind of know what to say. Um, I think some of the most damaging things I've experienced is people saying, someone said to me, well, it was only atypical, like you're fine. And yes, I might physically be fine, but mentally I was like, oh, is this not that big of a deal? Okay. So why am I feeling this way? If it isn't that big of a deal and kind of the great part about this community is people get it. So they are well-versed in what to say, which is very, very helpful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing that's hard too, is so often people, they think they're being supportive and helpful and you should be grateful. Like we, you caught it early. You're going to be okay. It wasn't cancer and they don't understand why you're not happy. But then this is also that bigger conversation of why talking about mental health is important because whatever you're feeling, it's valid. Mm A hundred percent. And at the end of the day, that is all that matters. If you are feeling something, you are valid in those feelings to feel whatever you're feeling. And that is kind of where the conversation is falling short Mm -hmm. is we need to make people feel justified in whatever they're feeling and help them work through it versus saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Cause that's not helpful for anyone. Like you're trying to figure out how to best continue, move on with your life, make the most of it, find, you know, versions of your former self that you can incorporate into this new reality and getting the response of, oh, well, that's not, it it was only X, Y, and Z cancer. It's not helpful at all. I think that's another one of those misinformation pieces about skin cancer in general too. So like in your situation, it's incredibly harmful to say it was only atypical because skin cancer is so unique and especially melanoma in that even though it was atypical, you now have a treatment plan that consists of skin checks, however often, and they set those, everyone should be going and getting them annually. I don't care how old you are, what history you have with the sun, like that just should be a human standard that really isn't shared enough medically. I mean, it should just be when you go in for your annual physical with your doctor, they should be telling you to schedule a skin check anyways. But if you have either a history of skin cancer in your family, or you have your own history with atypical moles or skin cancer, they're going to tell you to go somewhere between every three months to once a year and hopefully getting closer to the annually than the three months. But so you have that treatment plan. And I don't think anyone understands how much, even if it was only atypical, that doesn't mean you don't have just as much anxiety going into every single skin check. What are they going to find this time? Will it's just, will we catch it early again? Will it only be atypical again? Or will it, or will this be the time that it becomes cancer? And I think that's, I think for me, that's been really hard um, with, as far as misinformation about skin cancer, because unfortunately a lot of the outside world, if they haven't been impacted it, they 
seem to think you just scrape it off and you're good, but it doesn't just go away. Even if you can just scrape it off and then it's gone. Three months later, you're right back in that room wondering how many others are going to have to be scraped off, sent down, and then the waiting begins again. And actually for me, that is probably the hardest. It's that time between the skin check and waiting for my results. Yes. I feel like the days drag out. Mm -hmm. Your whole life is on hold because you can't plan for after that. Am I going to have surgery? Am I going to be good? Do I have to, can I just go in and have a little bit more taken out or do I have to be put under? Are they going to have to, you know, do lymph node tracing and biopsy lymph nodes? There's such a range of outcomes that can come out of such Mm -hmm. a simple procedure. And then with COVID, those wait times have become even longer. I mean, I had one that I ended up waiting 21 days to get my biopsy results, which is unheard of and totally not standard. And it was a really unique situation where they ended up actually sending the, um, they sent it to a lab in California for testing, which is why it took so much longer to get the results back. But I mean, I would say standard is seven to 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time when you're worried. Especially too, if you're going back to what you said about your life being on hold. I mean, I know when I had my first biopsy, my dermatologist was in Charlottesville and I was working in Blacksburg, which is a two and a half hour drive, which is totally fine. But I wasn't able to, after I had the biopsy be in the car because it was in my back, I couldn't buckle my seatbelt. I couldn't wear a bra. I just wasn't comfortable. So I was trying to work from home in that time period. I finally was able to drive back to Blacksburg, be back in the office. And then I got a call that I had to come back in for the remainder of the biopsy because they didn't get all of it. I think that's something people don't account for too, is my boss did not understand why I wasn't in the office and I mentally was not in the strongest place. So I felt silly trying to advocate for what I needed because I was still trying to process and understand what was going on. And that's kind of how that goes. If you have a biopsy and they have to do treatment, you're just kind of waiting and you're just trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to continue to be okay for a short period until you know for certain what you actually need to be worried about. Mm -hmm. I even know this last time. So my mom and I were at the doctor waiting for me to go in for my surgery and my biopsy. (laughs) I don't recommend having you both in one day. It was sort of an emergency situation that I was having a skin check, a surgery and a biopsy all in one day. Um, But that's the COVID world we live in. And my mom asked, so my birthday's coming up kind of, it's March 12th. So it's soon, but not super soon. And I think she was trying to distract me because of course I had a ton of anxiety. That was a lot mentally to be going into an appointment with. And she's like, so what do you want to do for your birthday? And I was like, I have no idea. Like I can't plan anything until I was like, let's find out what these biopsy results are. For all I knew, I was going to be in surgery the week of my birthday and I wasn't going to feel like doing anything. And then, you know, if I, if my birthday's on the 12th and my surgery is on the 11th, well then let's do something before, Mm -hmm. or if everything's all good, maybe we celebrate on my birthday or after. But I feel like I, every time I have those biopsies, I'm putting a lot of my life on hold and I'm, I'm trying really hard to fully live in between, Yeah, but it can be very tough because there's a lot of planning that you just, sometimes it's almost harder emotionally to have to 
break plans or change plans. So sometimes it's almost easier to not make them too far out. Yeah. And that is why you talk about mental health associated with it, because that is half the battle. Mm -hmm. And all cancer, so very much of it is, you know, the mental and emotional piece of it, even after. And I think it almost becomes harder after Mm -hmm. because there's so much anxiety tied to every appointment. And I don't think you ever, you ever really get to a point where you're not worried when you're going in for your scans and your checkups with any type of cancer. There's always in the back of your mind somewhere that fear of recurrence. Mm -hmm. Jen, I love you so much. (laughs) I just love the candid conversation about it. It just, it's so refreshing. That's really why I created the show because I think they have to be had and we have them behind the scenes and I want, I want the podcast to be a place for people that are going through it and feeling alone to hear stories that they can relate to, which is why I want all the invisible illnesses and chronic illnesses because my friend Sally was on recently and she's never had cancer, but she has a chronic illness. It's not curable. She's going to live with it for the rest of her life. And so we relate on so many different things because of shared experiences that really overlap. But my mom was listening to one of the episodes the other day and toxic positivity was a conversation that was happening. And she's like, I've never even thought about toxic positivity as a thing. And of course she's listening because it's me, but when we're bringing people on their friends and their family are going to listen and they're going to hear those stories. And sometimes I think it's, it's really important for those of us going through it to feel less alone, but then also it's so important for our friends and family to hear the conversations, especially between two people who do get it and can have those open and candid conversations, but for them to get a glimpse inside and just get a different perspective and whether it's they're going to show up differently or I never thought about that piece or, oh my gosh, I had no idea, but I feel like there's so much that we can be doing to help them too, because they want it. They just, they don't know how they want to help. They want to support and they just don't know where to begin. And it's really hard when you're going through it to find a place to help them understand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just soaking in everything you're saying. I mean, it just, it's right on the money. I think that's one of the big questions. And this is why I ask it in the show too. So I'll be asking you also, but um, a question that I get a lot, especially, you know, when my cancer comes back or I have a surgery is what can I do to help? And when you're feeling really low or you're struggling, um, it can be even harder to think of ways to help. And a lot of times in the moment, you don't know yeah. because you're just, surviving. There's sort of that just you're trying to meet your own basic needs, whatever they are at that time. And so I try to share those things when I'm not in those low periods or I'm between surgeries or things are going good because it's easier for me to look back and be like, wow, this person did that. And that really helped, or this person did this. And I never would have even thought of asking for that. I think one thing is huge, just actually showing up like not if someone yeah you know just says I'm coming over and I'm bringing food yeah 
come on over if it's pizza, yeah. even better. <laughs> um, yeah. If there's wine along, even better. I will stand yes. outside and hold that door open. Um, <laughs> but just, and sometimes the physical things too. Um, I've had people, you know, send like chocolate covered strawberries and I have a huge sweet tooth, but I never would have thought to ask for that. And it was just so meaningful. And um, or even just like Venmo, like treat yourself to a coffee and it shows up on a day where you're like, oh my gosh, like I needed that so much today. And they didn't know, yeah. um, but it, it happens that a lot of times it works out just like, oh, I'm having a tough day. And that little message comes with the little Venmo like ding <laughs> and they're like, treat yourself to coffee or like dinner on me tonight. And those things are just, it lets you know that they're thinking of you and you're not having to ask for help because that's so hard. I've really learned to ask for help when I need it, but not having to ask for it and getting it anyway is huge. Yeah. I think some of the most beneficial texts I received was I am running to the grocery store. I'm going to pick up your favorite granola. Is there anything else you need? I'll be over in 15. And like you said, just not having to think about it was like, oh, I so appreciate that. Like, I didn't have to ask you to, like, it's just the way that you phrase things and it doesn't seem like it's that big of an impact for you, but the impact for the other person is pretty astronomical. It's just showing that you care, just taking the extra step is really all you need sometimes. Mm -hmm. So my friend Sally that I talked about a little bit ago was just on the show recently. She actually sent me a Facebook message today. I was just like, what's your address? I have no idea what's coming, but now I'm like, I have something to look forward to. And that in itself with surgery coming up in four days, like I'm dreading it probably more the aftermath than the surgery. Cause I'm going back to my parents again and I'm going to be laid up and it's on the back of my right shoulder blade. So I can't reach it. I'm not independent again for at least a few days. I'm having to take off more work, which is they are great about it. Um, my work, both my jobs are super understanding, but it's really hard for me to not feel like I'm inconveniencing them. I don't ever want to be a burden on my family. So these are all things that have really been like mentally hard on me. And all of a sudden I have this thing to look forward to. It could be flowers. It could be a package. It could be a it could be a postcard. It could be a handwritten letter. Like, honestly, it doesn't even matter what it is. I will love whatever it is because she picked it out thinking of me and is sending it, but just knowing that something is coming has given me something to look forward to. And that in itself is sometimes just the biggest thing. Yeah. I know there've been times where we've done this for you as well, is that people have reached out to me and they said, Hey, one of my friends is having a bad day. I am sending her this item from LUV, can you include a gift certificate and a note and everything? And I'm like, yes, a hundred percent any day of the week. If you want to do that, we're here from it. And it just shows the impact of the community and people who get it. And people who are taking that extra step is every time I get messages like that, it almost brings me to tears because I'm like, thank you so much for being such a great advocate for others. It warms my heart to see and any role we can play in it, let me know. And I am there for it. Not only that, but how amazing does it feel that when they want to do something to help their friend or family member, they also think of you. That's part of the reason it brings me to tears is I'm just so thankful people are thinking of us in that capacity because it means I'm doing my job right. 
Cause at the end of the day, that is why I started this business. Mm-hmm. And that actually leads me really directly into one of my other questions, which is how has advocacy and being active in the skin cancer community impacted you? Oh man, I think the best days I've had since starting LUV have been messages from friends, family, or people I don't even know on Instagram saying, I now wear sunscreen every day because of you. I got a skin check because of you. I no longer am in a tanning bed because of you. And I'm like, thank you. Like, thank you so much for saying that because there are days where you feel like no one is listening, (laughs) but on those days where you get those messages, you're like, I am so glad to hear you are making positive changes and it is because of our advocacy. Those are honestly the best days. Or even when I get questions from friends saying, Hey, I know you wear sunscreen every day. I do not know how to layer it under my makeup. Will you FaceTime and show me? Like, yep, here are my five favorite brands. Here's how I do it. Amazing. Just those kinds of conversations are things that I never thought were going to be possible. And they're happening now and they're happening regularly. Like I've heard even Leah tell stories. She's another fantastic LUV ambassador about people reaching out to her and saying, Hey, I got a skin check because of you. And Mm -hmm. that is the impact of having these conversations and sharing it on social media and sharing the hard times is that people take steps to better themselves. And that's why we share our stories. You know, I certainly don't tell stories about me sitting out in the sun because oof, I can't change that, but I can tell the story in the hopes that you won't do that. And that's all I can do. And there's so much power in being an advocate for something that you really believe in. And then hearing people say that it made an impact in their lives. Mm -hmm. That makes me think too, about when you were saying that one of the hardest things that you heard from somebody was well, at least it was only atypical. So then it makes you feel like, why does my experience matter? Well, other people think I shouldn't be sharing because it was just atypical and it wasn't cancerous. But mm-hmm. I think, like you said, when you're when you found out that your friend had gone through something very similar, all of a sudden you felt seen, and for the first time you felt less alone, and you had this really meaningful conversation that just left you feeling so much better. Yeah, and there's always going to be somewhere, someone else out there that has had a very similar experience. And that's why I had a very tough time sharing at first. So my first diagnosis was in 2015. And then my second melanoma was in 2020, I believe it's all run together. It was either late 2020 or early 2021, but I had over five years in between. So technically I'd actually reached a stage where I was supposed to be able to go to annual skin checks, but I had a really hard time in between there because I felt like my story wasn't important enough or wasn't big enough because my melanoma was only stage one a, and I even said it right now. I said only one a, Yeah. but there's somebody else out there with stage one a or one B or a severely atypical mole that is feeling the same way. Yeah. And they're like, I can't share because someone's going to be like, well, it was only atypical. Yeah. And so it is important to share our stories because somebody else needs to hear that and they will find you. Yeah, I completely agree. And the person who had told me, and I only share this to put a light on how far we still have to go. 
The person who said to me it was only atypical was a dermatologist, not my dermatologist, but it was someone else. And that just shows how far we have to go still, which is why your voice and sharing your story is even more impactful is that they said to me, wasn't even my practitioner said it was only atypical, which I mean, bring back the mental health piece of that. Mm -hmm. It was someone who was in this field, in the industry saying, Hey, why are you stressing about that? It was nothing. And I think it was Ashley from chemo diaries that I first had the conversation with around the mental health piece with cancer is when you have cancer or precancerous moles or precancerous anything really, because you can have precancer spots outside of moles too, but the medical field, those specialists are so focused on the physical that they forget about the mental. And that dermatologist is a great example of that. And that's why she really advocates for that. And I really try to talk about it because the best way to overcome that in the medical field is by empowering the people going through it to recognize it and advocate for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you phrased that beautifully. It's so true. What do you wish those outside of the skin cancer community understood better? I wish people outside of the skin cancer community aren't hard on themselves if they decide that it's time to make a better decision for their lives. I think I hear a lot of the times people are saying, well, I've used tanning beds in the past. I've gotten sunburn in the past. Like, oh my gosh, I just, I, I made all those choices. I've already, I've already done all this damage. Like what difference is it going to make now if I change my practices? And I always tell people that the mistakes in the past do not have to define the choices you make in the future. If you got a sunburn in the past, if you used tanning beds in the past, that is in the past. The only thing you're in charge of is making more impactful, smarter, safer decisions moving forward. Because I've talked to so many people who are so incredibly hard on themselves. And the reality is in my parents' generation, when they were growing up, they did not have sunscreen. So we have done so much education, so much development in the past 40, 50 years that we cannot be hard on ourselves. We still have a long way to go, but choosing to make a better decision for yourself now is always a good place to start. You always have to start somewhere. We've all made decisions that we're not proud of. I know me as a little kid, I went to the lake, I got crazy sunburned and my dad made me wear his oversized t-shirt for the rest of the week. And I was so embarrassed and I was so mad because I was like, I want to show my cute little one piece off. I don't know. I was like eight. and that is part of the, he was trying to protect me. He was trying to take care of me. And just, if we can do that to the next generation and the people in our lives, everyone's going to be in a much better, happier, more positive, safer place. Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) as you were telling your story about the time at the lake, I can't, and I think about it all the time with my melanoma story, because this There's no way that this incident did not have a huge impact on where I'm at right now. But my family used to go to Mexico almost every year over spring break. And one year, my friend and I fell asleep in the sun wearing SPF 4 accelerator. Okay, first of all, I'm already in Mexico. So I'm like, (laughs) closer to the equator. The sun's a lot hotter. 
Um, I didn't know any better, clearly. And I probably had God tanning before we even went to get my base tan. Um, but oh my gosh, like I need to find those pictures because if I put those on social media, I don't know what would be a better warning than those pictures, if anything. Um, I mean, I literally, I had blisters on my face. I had blisters like on my finger. I had a huge blister on one of my fingers and I had to spend the rest of the week, like in the shade under umbrellas the whole next day. We actually went into town because I couldn't even be out on the beach. I had to go to a doctor at our hotel, um, at our resort down there because I was so burned and it was the first day of our week long vacation. But, um, also going back to what you said, it's never too late because another one of the misconceptions that we haven't touched on is that people think they get a sunburn and then they use aloe, they put lots of lotion on, their skin returns to normal color and it's healed, but all skin damage is cumulative. So any changes that you make are still going to decrease your chance of something in the future. We can't go back and change the past, Mm -hmm. but our skin remembers all of that. So the best thing that we can do is protect it better in the future because you can't, you can't change it, but Mm -hmm. you can better protect yourself moving forward to, you know, lower your odds from where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, I don't want to like freak out people, but the reality of the situation is Anytime you are getting sun, you're creating cell damage. That is the reality of the situation. And again, I don't say that to freak people out, but more just to say that you don't even have to get sunburnt in order to do damage to your cells. So any sun safe decisions you can make going forward are the right ones to make. You know, when you're in a car, the incidental sun exposure that you receive, you would be shocked by. So just making a smarter decision of like wearing a sun shirt, that's why we created our wraps is I just wanted something I could just easily throw on when I was on the go. And I have one, my mom and I, and a bunch of our friends and a bunch of our ambassadors and advocates have one in their car and one in their purse so that they always have the sun protection wherever they go. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to make it easier for you to make sun safe decisions. And I always say sun safety should be an opportunity, not a hindrance. It should be an opportunity to protect yourself and make smart decisions for yourself. And it shouldn't be a hindrance. So at the end of the day, if I can provide clothing that makes you feel positive and you love wearing, then I am doing my job right. Because if you select to wear that item, I know you're protected and I have peace of mind. Even if I don't know someone who's making a purchase across the country, I have peace of mind knowing that they have the option to protect themselves if they wear this garment. Mm-hmm. I actually have two of the wraps, my plain black one I keep at work in my office, just over the back of my chair, because my office is, it's on a corner. So we have windows on both sides. And then my desk is right up against the wall in front of the window. Mm-hmm. And so, well, for one thing, the wrap keeps me warm because my office is anything but warm <laughs> in winter in Minnesota. And then I think that's the other thing, like even in cold climates, people think that it's cold outside, so you don't have to protect yourself. And so I know you show even wearing like the gaiters up in the winter and help protect your face, whether you're just doing errands around town in the winter, or you're actually like on the slope skiing or snowboarding. But I use my wrap in the summer because then it covers up my arms when I'm wearing sleeveless shirts and stuff at work. But then even in the winter too, um, 
it's a UPF layer over whatever I'm wearing and extra protection when I sit in front of the window all day because yeah. the sun is just as dangerous when it's negative 20 in Minnesota or oh my gosh I told you I'm coming to visit it's just not going to be in the winter it's going to be in the summertime I can't I can't do negative 20 degrees Jen I can't it's not normally negative 20 but we have had a few rough stretches this year for sure actually another one of my friends yesterday just said the same thing he's like I am coming to visit you but it is not going to be in the winter and I was like nope I totally get it and actually I would rather people come visit in the summer anyways because in Minnesota the winters are or <laughs> the winters are not amazing the summers are amazing so we live here because you go through like the worst four months to get to the rest and then we tell everyone how bad the winters are so that no one wants <laughs> to come and like take up all the lake on our beautiful 10,000 Minnesota lakes in the summer. But yeah, it's amazing here in the summer. And yeah, I will come visit just not in the winter. <laughs> I don't blame you. I, <laughs> I spend a lot of time trying to figure out places to go in the winter to get out of it myself. So <laughs> you can come visit me in DC. Yep, for sure. And I've only been there once and it was only for like three days. So I definitely need to okay. do that. Okay. I have, I've started like a list of places. My goal for 2020 was to travel more. You know how people choose like a word to live that next yeah. year by 2020 yeah. was travel for me. <laughs> and, yes, uh, unfortunately, 2020 ended up being more COVID-19. <laughs> so travel, I, basically one on one trip before everything shut down. So I've got like two years of travel to make up for. Darn right. I think we all do. Yeah. If I could go someplace new each month, 100% I would do it. So. Oh my gosh. You almost have a OUV ambassador in every state to go visit. Pretty much. I also, I've met so many people just through the community that I know between working in sports where people move all over the place and then I've worked in a couple of different states with sports, but so between my sports connections and then my cancer community, I probably know someone in almost every state that I can go visit. So I can travel more because I can pay less for lodging. I just have to get there. Yep. I love it. Oh, that makes me so happy. One of the greatest things, this still brings the biggest smile to my face was when Dee and Amy met up. And they sent a picture in their matching OUV shirts. And that was the moment for me where I was like, this community is working. That was one of the greatest moments. I have the picture on my laptop and I see it every single day. And I was like, this is why you lose sleep and you barely sleep and you're working your booty off is for these women. It's for this reason. You will have to send that to me so that we can share it on here also. And then Dee is actually one of the people that I am planning to meet up with in April. So me, Katie and Dee are planning to meet up um, when I go to Arizona in April. I just finalized my dates pending my flight. I have to book my flight yet, but um, I officially set my dates on Friday. So I let them know my dates. They're tentative just based on the flight, but. That makes my life. Oh my gosh. I mean, there are just so many incredible individuals in this community that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I talk to you on almost a daily basis and other ambassadors almost on a daily basis. Cause I feel like you guys are like my really close friends, even though we've never met in person. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you and I end up on these long conversations about our, <laughs> we like all the same books, but then we also like the same TV shows. And so it's constantly only murders in the building. I think was the <laughs> first one that we both were going yeah. back and forth all the time. Have you seen this episode? Have you seen this episode? Like, can you believe this happened? Yeah. And then um, now it was, you're going to have to say the title. I can never get it. It's oh, gosh, the, the woman, woman in the house across the street, looking at the window. I don't know. I just met you. people will understand what we're saying I hope yes um the Netflix parody that like spoofs all of the like the girl on the train and the woman in the window oh, and all funny. of that but Kristen Bell is I have loved her since her Veronica Mars days I was obsessed with Veronica Mars but um yes that was our latest well that one I told you you have to watch but yeah you're constantly. like have you watch it we need to talk about it Erica yep. watch we need to talk about it <laughs> And then uh, my book list keeps getting longer every time you read another book. And I was like, oh, got to add that one. So, oh my gosh. Okay. My library um, holds list is maxed out currently. I'm almost done with the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And oh my heavens, I'm at like 77% on my Kindle right now. And it is good. So if you're not, if that one isn't on your list, you need to add it. It is good. That's Taylor Jenkins read, right? Is that? Yes. Her. Yeah. So yep. Um, I don't know if I have that one on my holds list, but I have at least another one of hers in there and I'm kind of working my way through a lot of her books. Now I've read a couple and she's so good. I still need to read Colin, Colleen Hoover. I haven't read any of her stuff yet. And people have been telling me to do it. I think there was one that I wanted to read and I can't remember, but it's a super popular one. And people say it's an emotional roller coaster. And I just keep being like, I'm not ready for an emotional roller coaster right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll pick that up over the summer, but I can't handle an emotional roller coaster right now. That's me with This Is Us. So clearly this has been going on for a while. Um, but everyone's like, oh my gosh, I cry at ep- every episode. And I'm like, okay, I need to watch the show. But like, I am not in the emotional space to like have a cryathon every week. So eventually I will watch it. I love Mandy more. I've heard it's incredible, but sorry, Mandy. I got a little bit more emotional healing to do before I'm ready to go on that journey. This is us as a tear jerker. There's one episode where I went through an entire box of tissues. (laughs) And I I never have any Kleenex. I'll have to be sitting on the couch with like a roll of toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Toilet paper in one hand and Xena the warrior kitty in the other. Yes. (laughs) So besides watching Only Murders in the Building... (laughs) What advice would you give to someone whose friend or family member has just been diagnosed with skin cancer? Hmm. Buy LUV clothing, but yes, (laughs) buy all the clothing. And if you have recommendations and ideas for what you want to see message us, because it gets put into a Google doc and when we can make it happen, we make it happen. So we are here for you guys Buy all the LUV, tell us what you want. We'll make it happen. I think another thing too, is that you are not alone. There is a whole amazing, wonderful community who knows exactly what you are going through. They know exactly the emotions. They can relate on every level and they are here for you. So if you are listening to this and feeling overwhelmed and alone, find us. You can find me on Instagram and I will direct you in the position of a bunch of different people. You can find Jen on Instagram and she'll direct you. We are so here for you. I am so here for you. I'm your biggest cheerleader. I tell Jen that all the time. And she's like, this girl's crazy, but I'm like, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'm here if you need anything. And that's just what you have to remember at the end of the day is we are all going through something in life. 
everyone is going through something in life. And if you can find someone who understands, it gets a lot less scary. 100%. The community aspect to going through anything cannot be understated. Mm -hmm. Overstated. Mm -hmm. Yep. Can't be overstated. It can definitely be understated. Yeah, definitely. We're working on a whole post about, this is a side note, um, about community. And we got a bunch of different quotes from people in the cancer community and OUV ambassadors. And I started compiling all of them about the importance of community. And once that post goes live, I mean, if you want to feel like you have cheerleaders in every corner and every state in the U.S., read through those. And they're, they're incredibly impactful. I try not to cry when I'm writing them. Cause I'm like, got to get this done. Can't, can't cry. Got to get this post done, but people get it and they're here for you. And they're ready to tell their story in the hopes that it helps you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you mentioned that you have your spreadsheet with everyone's recommendations. I probably sent in a hundred. I have almost as many LUV items as you do. I'm waiting yeah. on the Cabo sun hat to come back. <laughs> Oh my um, gosh. I send her this at least on a monthly basis. So she knows <laughs> that I'm waiting for it to come back. And um, I ask our manufacturer on a monthly basis and they said, Erica, we are working on it. I'm like, I know, but people need this sun hat. You don't understand. You don't understand how much Jen emails me <laughs> about this hat, which I already have the other one and I love it, but I don't know there's something about this hat. I just really need it. Mm-hmm. But you've been taking people's, um, input and suggestions. And I know you have, you just had a big sale, which we've been advertising, um, on the show, but that's to make room for new products. So when can we see those coming? I'm mostly asking for me. (laughs) Our hope is, so this has been a little bit of a emotional roller coaster. Our hope is may the reality of the situation is supply chain right now is insane. So our hope is May, and we're introducing new product categories too. So it is in the works. We have sketches. They are in the sample stage, but our hope is May. We're going to try and we're going to try and make it happen. I am working overtime to get new designs because the reality is like new designs are so fun. They're just so fun. I mean, to bring something new and exciting and then have people who are just as excited as you, I kind of, I kind of nerd out about it. I'm at least as excited um, because I already own almost everything um, in at least one color. I think I do own every product in at least one color. I love it so much. It just makes my day. And when I hear feedback like that, I'm like, okay, we got to keep going. People are waiting for something else. We got to keep moving. So we're doing the best we can. I mean, the reality is supply chain right now is insane and inventory is super expensive. So if you guys give us, an idea for something and you haven't seen it in production, that's why. Um, getting an idea to getting it in production almost takes a year. Um, so just be patient with us. We're still taking everything into account and we're still here for you. And you can always message us if you're like, hey, I asked for this dress in this color. Where is it? Ask us and I can probably give you a timeline of when you can see it. It's kind of a universal thing right now. Unfortunately, supply chain is just so backed up everywhere. But you know that we will be sharing um, as soon as those products launch or even when the sneak peeks start to come out. But in the meantime, where can people listening find you? Instagram, Facebook, website. Yeah. I'll drop them in the show notes as well. Perfect. Yeah. You guys can find us at Instagram at low ultraviolet. 
And then if you want to follow me personally, I'd love to connect with you personally. My personal Instagram is Erica, E-R-I-C-A-N and then Sullivan, S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N. And then our website is glowultraviolet.com. And yeah, connect with us. I want to hear from you guys. It makes my day. And she, she definitely is your biggest supporter, your biggest cheerleader, and really is like a true friend. We do. We message each other multiple times a day and we've never met in person. And that's just, it's, it really speaks to the power of the community um, that you have built. And I cannot thank you enough for both coming on today and then just really putting out such an impactful community like you have. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Erica truly is one of the most kind, genuine, authentic people I've ever met. I'm so grateful to have her both as a friend and a sponsor of the podcast. It's so important to me to only work with brands that I use and love personally. Low Ultraviolet has the best, most affordable sun protective products with an incredible mission. And don't forget to use code GEN15, that's J-E-N-N-15, at checkout to save an additional 15% off your entire order. If you liked today's episode, it would mean the world to me if you left a five-star rebating and review. This is how I can continue to share the stories of others and build a stronger community. As always, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until next time, thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful for each and every one of you.